now. And this is so much better than the debate. Matter of fact, we ought to be in, in intercession right now over that, but I'd so much rather be doing this. And oh, there are days I say, Lord, is the rapture soon? All right. Now, uh, this is the sixth session in Daniel. We've been going through the book of Daniel, and um, we're going to come now to probably the best-known story concerning Daniel. Well, it is, no doubt, the best-known story concerning Daniel, that Daniel in the lion's den. You learn that when you're a little kid in church, Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I want to read the first two verses of chapter 6, and that's where we are. We're going to finish 6, and um, let, then I'm going to comment and do a little recap since it's been so long that we were uh, together up here going through Daniel. Now, so let's read the first two verses. It pleased, now I'm not going to say Darius, because Darius was here for eight weeks. So I'm going to call this Darius Darius. You say, can you really do that, Jeff? Hey, it's where you're from. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to call him Darius just to keep things separated. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors. Now notice of whom Daniel was one, one of three governors that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Now let's recap a little bit. Let me just uh, bring us, uh, just refresh us a little bit. Now remember, Darius is king of the Medes, king of the Medes. And at the end of chapter 5, if you'll recall, uh, Babylon has just been overthrown by Darius and the Medes and the Persians. So when Darius and the Medes and the Persians overthrew the Babylonian kingdom and killed Belshazzar, you remember when Belshazzar was killed? Uh, after he saw the handwriting on the wall, that was his last night on the planet because... Um, uh, God said, that's it for you. That's it. Your time is over on, on this earth. And Daniel now, when Belshazzar died and the Medes and the Persians overthrew Babylon, Daniel has personally witnessed two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and his grand, uh, grandson Belshazzar, and an entire kingdom, the Babylonians, come and go. So he has lived through two kings now and one kingdom. Everybody say, that's a whole lot of shaking to live through. And we think we're in a shaking. He went through two kings, and the overthrow of the kingdom he was first exiled to, and now there's another kingdom that he is, he is in, and that's the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Per his prophecy, by the way. But this amazing man of God has remained steadfast, immovable, faithful to God, and his faith is about to be severely tested, just like his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were tested severely. Daniel, I've often wondered, how come he wasn't thrown into the burning, fiery oven? Because I know he didn't bow to the idol. Well, I don't know why, but he wasn't. But Daniel's day was coming when he would also be severely tested, just like the three Hebrew children were, in a different way. Now, also remember that the first six chapters of Daniel are historical. It's really the biographies of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they dealt with adversity and pressure to assimilate 
into a pagan society and how they resisted it. And I've taught when we were going through this that it really reminds me of us now because you do know that we're no longer in a Christian nation. You do know that. No, 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 we're in a Christian nation, Jeff. Really? No, we're not. Well, then what are we in? We're in a pagan nation with some Christians in it. And not everybody who says they're a Christian looks like it to me. But we're we're in a pagan nation now. We are not in a Christian nation. We are in a post-Christian culture. You know that, right? A post-Christian culture that is now primarily secularist, humanistic, and pagan. Look at the laws that are passed. Look at the things that our culture can blink at and not blush. So as Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were exiled from Judah and Jerusalem into a totally pagan environment, and they were pressured greatly to accept it and embrace it and be conformed to it, they resisted and they refused to bow, bend, break, or back down. Now, where are we? We're in the same spot. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get more and more pressure is going to come on real church people, real Christians, real Bible-loving, Jesus-loving believers to bow, to bend, to compromise, to conform, to assimilate, to give in, to give up. But I believe that God has a remnant that will never do that. And and I want to be one of them, don't you? All right. But remember now, they've been carried into a foreign pagan nation, and because of their natural brilliance and giftedness, and of course, ultimately the providence of God, they are originally selected to serve in places of distinction within Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. They're so gifted. So he, he looked for the cream of the crop, and he said, I want you to serve me. And that's when the pressure came to assimilate and conform to paganism. Now, we don't find them serving under uh, Belshazzar, that is, these four. They're not mentioned. Uh, Belshazzar is, I I believe, taken up in one chapter, and and we're not told where Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, what part they they played in Belshazzar's kingdom. We only know that when the handwriting on the wall happened in the last night of Belshazzar's life, that his wife, the queen, said, you need to go find that dude named Daniel. And he'll tell you what this handwriting means. So Daniel is sort of brought out of the shadows all of a sudden. And that's the first time we see him with Belshazzar. And Daniel Daniel says, "Mm, meanie, meanie, uh, tekel, you parson. Let me tell you what it means, king. You're dead. And this kingdom is gone. This is your last night. Soak it up. Now, that's a paraphrase. That's a revised Wickwire version. <laughs> but he, 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 spoke, he spoke the end of the kingdom. And that night, the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon. Belshazzar was seized and killed, and the Medes and the Persians took over, and Babylon ceased to be. Wow, in one night. In one night. 
If you had asked any of those Babylonians, do you think you can be gone in one night? They would have said, you're crazy. We're Babylon, the mightiest nation on earth. They were gone in one night. And the whole world shifted in a 24-hour period. You think it couldn't happen now? I said, you think it couldn't happen now? The only thing stable is God. Everything on this planet is being shaken. All right? Now, we've also noted that they're a perfect example of, and I've already mentioned this, of the believer uh, under pressure to assimilate, assimilate into a pagan kingdom. They refuse assimilation at every turn, no matter what. Even if you throw me into a burning, fiery oven, I'm not going to give in, and I'm not going to bow to your idols. Ooh, they had spines of steel. Where is that today? Everybody gives in. Everybody compromises. Everybody breaks. Well, a lot of people that matter to me, all the politicians do. You can't put any of your faith in politics because they all give in. All right. You get a spine of steel from the original man of steel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Superman. All right. Now, in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a burning, fiery oven uh, for refusing to bow to the idol, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and they are delivered from the oven. And Nebuchadnezzar issues a proclamation that nothing can be said against their God at risk of the person's life. And the three young men are promoted. There's always promotion once you take a stand in the midst of adversity and refuse to give in. Once you go through the fire and come out on the other side, there's always promotion. Promotion comes when you stand tall. Now, in the last chapter 5 that we were in before tonight, Daniel is brought before Belshazzar to interpret the mysterious handwriting on the wall, and um, he pronounces doom on Belshazzar and Babylon, as we've already said, and that night, everything changed. Now we come to verse 3 in chapter 6, where we find Daniel once again finding favor in a pagan environment with yet another pagan king. Just because you're around pagans, Godless people doesn't mean God can't give you favor with them. God can give you favor with a pagan boss, a godless boss. He can give you favor. He can give you favor. Listen, when God decides to favor you, nothing can stop it and nothing can shut that door. I am he that opens and no man shuts and I shut and no man opens. When God gives you favor, nobody can stop it. And when I see Daniel and and these three Hebrew children constantly being promoted in a pagan culture, when they took their stand for God, they were the winners in the end. They always won in the end. And so will the church that takes a stand. Now, here's verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governor's satraps. Why was he distinguished? Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over what, everybody? The whole realm. Wow. What's an excellent spirit? He had shining, incredible, flawless, godly character. He was a man of deep character. It's been said that if you make a mark on the world, watch out for people with erasers. I'm going to say that again. If you make a mark on the world, watch out for people with erasers. 
Because there are people that will look at you making a mark on the world and they hate you for it. The green-eyed monster arises within them and jealousy and envy take over. And a a lot of the time when you've been attacked by others, you didn't realize you were being attacked because somebody was jealous and envious. See, when God favors you, other people around you who see it get jealous. Are you all aware that jealousy happens in the church? Are you aware that jealousy happens in the workplace? Oh, man, you better not get promoted above them. See, when God promotes, the promotion's wonderful, but what it causes in other people is a real mixed reaction. There are some that rejoice with you, and those are your real friends. But there are some that hate your guts because you got promoted. Jealousy. Well, as Daniel's being promoted, and, and word gets out, the king is thinking about setting him over the whole kingdom, setting Daniel over the whole realm. Well, that did it. We're about to see the green-eyed monster of jealousy and envy raise its ugly head against Daniel, and some evil men are about to try to erase him. Verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Just a little side note for you, Daniel is one of two men in the Bible that Uh, where the Bible never shows us a fault, never shows us a sin, never shows us a flaw. Daniel's one of them. Daniel's walk was too upright for them to find anything wrong. So they had to make something up. Verse 5, then these men said, we're not going to find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Here's what they were really saying. The only thing we can count on with this guy is his devotion to his God. And if we're going to find any way to get him, we're going to have to get him there. So they hatched an evil scheme that they required, that required manipulating Darius, the king. And what we're going to see in this story is he who rolls a stone, it will return back on him. And he who digs a pit to catch somebody else is going to fall in the pit they dug. That's what we're about to see. Look at verse 6. Here's the lie they made up, or the trap they set. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom. Now look at how they're pressuring him. They're, they're, They're telling him the whole majority is for what they're about to say. All the governors of the kingdom the administrators, the satraps, counselors, and advisors, all the who's who's have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Oh, that's so nasty. (laughs) Diabolical. Wicked. Verse 8, now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which, as you know, O king, does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, I wrote this down, and I'm going to say it to you. i got to tell you, folks, these Old Testament kings often amaze me at how naive and undiscerning, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, stupid. They are. I mean, you would think he would smell a rat. 
immediately. Because all of a sudden, here's all these who's who's, everybody that matters in his kingdom, all thronging to him and saying, hey, we have a great idea. Anybody who petitions, any God except you, flattery, you, Mr. Wonderful, they'll be thrown in the den of lions. What do you think? I'm immediately going to get suspicious. Why are you? What? But listen, I'm going to tell you how I believe they got away with it. They pulled it off by appealing to his pride. Oh, they puffed him up. Because they said, hey, why would you let anybody, O king, ask of any other God but you? They're calling him God. And so no one would be able to petition anybody for 30 days but him. And that appealed to his pride. And the king fell for it. And he signed the decree. And I just got a right stupid on his forehead. Because I'm I'm too suspicious if I have that happen to me. It doesn't make any sense. What a weird, weird, weird request. Now, here's the lesson. Let me just make an application. Uh, If you're a man or a woman of God in a pagan environment, you're going to make some enemies who want to see you brought down. Can I just inform, can I illuminate you on that? If you're a child of God and you're walking with Jesus and you start getting promoted, there are people who are going to level, very possibly going to, going to mark you and try to bring you down. I've had it happen to me. I worked in a radio station a long, 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 long time ago. Um, I could say the name of the station and you would know it because it's an all-news, all-day station. And I was a newsreader. You didn't know that, but I was. I was a newsreader. And when you spoke into this microphone, you were talking to the whole state of Texas. It was a 50,000-watt AM blowtorch. Now, when I got a job there, as just a young man, low 20s, um, they asked me to read the news. And so that's what I was doing. And I, I was learning my way around this station. And there was a man there who I knew used to walk with God. As a matter of fact, he used to be a Christian DJ. And I didn't know he worked there. And I walked in and I saw him. I went, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I got a brother here with me. But I didn't know. He was backslidden buddy. And the last thing he wanted to see was me bouncing up to him saying, praise the Lord. And... All of a sudden, he began to turn on me. He began to turn on me. Uh, I was recording some news in a little uh, recording studio, and um, uh, I, I did something wrong. I didn't know the equipment very well. I was brand new there, and he flipped on the speakers that, that filled this place. Uh, you could talk through a particular microphone and talk to anybody in any room. He turned them all on, and he yelled at me, and he, he, he cussed me out. I'm, I'm freaking out. This is the former Christian DJ? And I realized he's walking in darkness and he does not like me. And he began to turn on me and he tried to take me down. Day by day, week by week, he worked to get me out of there. So what'd you do? I prayed until he stopped. I bound, I loosed, I fasted, I prayed until he stopped. And finally one day I just looked him in the eyeball, walked right up to him and said, Clearly, we have a problem. And I said, I want you to tell me what your problem with me is because this has to stop now. He walked away. He never said another word to me. After that, I started pastoring 
Thank God I would never have made it in news. I would have gotten fired every place I went because they wanted to angle everything towards a liberal viewpoint, but that's another story. Now, I'm just telling you that sometimes people will get you in their crosshairs, and the reason you think it is is not what it really is. It's because there's jealousy, there's envy, there's resentment because God is on you and he's favoring you and he's promoting you and they don't like it. So you just shine them on, you smile, you pray for them, you bless them, and you keep on going. Now, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul the apostle wrote, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, everybody say will, Will. be persecuted. That's a promise I don't want to claim, but it's there. The more godless a society becomes, the more they will persecute the godly. And that's why the godly are being persecuted in America now more and more because America is becoming more and more godless. But look at Daniel's bold response, verse 10. I love this. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with it, good things happen in the upper room. In his upper room, He threw the windows open towards Jerusalem, and he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now, read this last part with me. As was his custom since early days. He said, I don't care what you sign. I don't care what you decree. There is nothing and nobody that's going to stop me from seeking my God and petitioning my God and walking out my walk of faith. Nothing is going to stop me. I just had to write here behind any great man or woman, just like Daniel, you're going to find the habits that made them great. I call them holy habits. His habit was he got with God three times a day. Three times a day. He didn't care where, what was going on, what he had to walk away from. He, he, he went home and he, and he got in that upper room and he let the whole world see. And he sought God three times a day. And, and, and see, that's the hidden habit that made the man who the man was. See, I believe you've got bad habits or you've got holy habits. And either way, you can form a habit. It only takes doing something a few times for it to become a habit good or bad. And so with Daniel, it was prayer. I can tell you just by the grace of God in my life, I get with God every morning and I've done it for years. I, I spend at least an hour with God and, and I go through the Bible in a year and I read that Bible and I pray and I will not go face the day until I do it. It's a holy habit. The, the, the Holy Ghost has established in my life. And it's carried me through so many things, so many things. I'm, I'm telling you the truth when I tell you my, the high point of my day is that time with God in the morning. The rest of the day is anticlimactical after that. I love that time with God because his word speaks to me and, and builds my faith and encourages me and, and gives me vision and, and gives me a goals in life and and explains God to me. Daniel said, not only will I not stop petitioning my God, but I'm going to open all the windows so you can see my strong stand. I'm going to make this a public deal. I'm not going to try to hide. I think of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount here. 
Don't hide your light, he said. Let it shine for all. Let your good deeds glow for all to see. I love the way that's written. Can we say that together? Let your good deeds. Let's try it again. How about two of you said it? Ready? One, two, three. Let your good deeds glow for all to see. Isn't that good? And what happens when your good deeds glow? They will praise your heavenly Father. His accusers, his accusers, when they saw him praying, immediately ratted him out. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king, and they spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Now they're about to spring the trap, and they're going to tell him why they did it. So they answered and said before the king, verse 13, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a fanatic. And you know what happened to this poor king? His heart was so grieved. You know why? Because he loved Daniel. He knew the value of this man. And he realized he had fallen for a trap. Verse 14, the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with who? Himself. Isn't it, isn't it tough when you're going through a terrible thing and you know you did it to you? That's the worst kind of trial. This isn't somebody else doing this to me. I did this to me. I brought this on myself. The king, he's kicking himself. How could I have been so dumb? And I totally agree with him. <laughs> so he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And look, he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Darius had been trapped by his own words. He reminds me of Herod who promised with an oath his adulterous wife's daughter, Herodias, you remember, the sensual dancer, who had just danced sensually before Herod. And he was so caught up in his lust, he made a stupid promise. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now, here's another one. Stupid. Because you got to understand the context of his... His stepdaughter is the dancer, and he's lusting right in front of her mama and everybody in the room, and he's so caught up in lust, whatever you want. He says to a teenage, sensual girl, whatever you ask, I'll give you half the kingdom. Everybody say right stupid on his forehead. She came back and said she wanted, and she shocked him. She wanted the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Oh, my Lord. You talk about macabre. You know what I've noticed? Often, sensuality and violence go hand in hand. Sensuality and violence go hand in hand. Because when you give in to sensuality, you're giving in to the flesh, and the flesh can do anything if you give it the opportunity. You, you, I, any of us can do anything if we got in the flesh. But often, because you give in in that one realm, it opens up the other realm, and often really sensual, hedonistic people end up in violence. Just something I've observed. 
And so here's this, this little teenage girl who comes back and asks a monstrous request. Give me the head of John the Baptist. And don't just bring it to me holding him by his hair. I want it on a platter to mock him. And Herod had to do it. And Herod did it. John the Baptist lost his life for preaching against sin. I wonder how many preachers would be in trouble for doing that these days. Well, we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about hell. We don't talk. We just want to make everybody happy. Jesus didn't. Herod was greatly distressed, and so was Darius, because both of them bound themselves with the words of their mouth. Darius was weakened by pride, and Herod by sensuality. King Darius worked all day long to find a loophole in Persian law that would deliver Daniel, but he couldn't find it. And so Daniel's accusers smelled blood. Verse 15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians. No decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. They knew that he regretted it, and so they're reminding him, you can't change it because you can't change the law of the Medes and Persians. You're trapped by the words of your mouth, king. You're going to have to follow through. Verse 16, one of the hardest moments in Darius' life. The king gave the command, and they brought Daniel, the greatest man in the world of that day. The greatest man in the world. And they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the den of lions. But look at the king spoke, saying to Daniel, uh, your God, whom you serve continually, he'll deliver you. See ya. But you know, it was a sort of a word of faith. He actually said, I, I, I'm, you know, I can't say that I believe in your God, Daniel, I don't walk with your God, but I'm going to believe that your God is going to do a miracle because I really like you. Now, I notice here he's thrown into this den of lions, which was a cave that went down into like a pit. And I see similarities here of what happened to Jesus when he was put into Joseph's tomb. It says in verse 17, look at the similarities. Still talking about Daniel. Then a stone was brought, isn't that amazing? And laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. The Romans did the same thing with Jesus. They rolled a great stone to cover his tomb, and they sealed it with the Roman seal. Same thing. Jesus' body was dead, but Daniel was as good as dead, barring God's deliverance. And Jesus would be resurrected from death, and Daniel was resurrected in a type in that he was delivered from the lions and walked out of a stone cave. Now let me just pause a moment and try putting ourselves in Daniel's shoes, knowing where he was going, I want you to notice he did not even slightly relent. He'd say, now, wait a minute, Darius, let's talk about this. No, we don't hear one word from him, not a word. And this lion's den, folks, was the worst of deaths, just like the worst death in Jesus' day was the cross. This lion's den was typically filled with lions that had been intentionally left hungry for this type of execution. Can you imagine going this way? It's dark. It stinks. You hear them. You smell them. 
They throw you in and all of a sudden it's totally dark because they've rolled a stone over and you know that right beneath you are hungry, ravenous lions. And you're going down. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery oven, if God didn't come through, it was over. Now let me just apply this to you and me. There's trials we all walk through. Truthfully, that if not for God, it'd be the end of us. How many of you can say, if God hadn't come through for me? There's been times if he hadn't come through for me. Come on, everybody. If God hadn't come through, I wouldn't be here tonight. How many of you can honestly say that? Give the Lord a hand of praise because it's really true. It's really true. You and I both know that there were times if God hadn't come through, this is the last place we'd be. We'd be dead. We'd be deep in sin. We'd be in jail. We'd be miserable. We'd be out there if God hadn't come through. David said, I would have fainted if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we see that all night long, Darius was miserable. Now the king, verse 18, went to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. He's such a perfect picture of a person that makes a bad decision. You ever made a bad decision and you can't sleep at night? You can't eat. You can't turn on the music that usually puts you to sleep. You roll and roll around in satin sheets. but You can't sleep in those satin sheets because you made a bad decision and your conscience is eating you alive. His sleep went from him. Darius could not wait for the first glimmer of dawn, verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning, went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, I can just picture him. I know his voice was quaking and quivering. He cried with, with a lamenting voice to Daniel, hoping against hope that he heard something back. He said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lion's pregnant pause? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Read the next part with me, everybody. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Mm -mm. Now, I like this. So that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And, O king, I haven't done anything wrong before you. This was a a miraculous deliverance. Every bit as dramatic as that of the uh, three Hebrew children being delivered from the burning fiery oven. That doesn't happen. They were walking around in the midst of fire. Daniel had an angel sent. And the way he says it, I believe he saw him. He sent his angel. And his angel just shut their mouth so that they haven't laid a fang on me or a claw. The three Hebrew children testified the same thing. God sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And that angel, the fourth man, was seen even by Nebuchadnezzar. He was seen as well. Notice that in both cases, everybody, God didn't deliver them from the trial of the lions or the oven, but delivered them in the trial of the lions and the oven. You know, I wish God... I've wished so many times he would pull me out of a trial. Just come and just take me out of it. 
But 95% of the time, he has chosen to walk me through it and deliver me in it so that I come out the other side going, wow, I made it. And not even the smell of smoke on you. That's just the way God does it. Now, Darius was thrilled, and I would imagine that Daniel's persecutors were looking at them like a deer staring at headlights. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, this has totally backfired. He's alive. There's not a scratch on him. But they didn't know what was about to come. Look at verse 23. The king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. Notice he was brought up out of the den because he had been thrown down into the den, which was a terrible pit. And I thought of David in Psalms 40. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings and put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, here's where it gets real. You better watch out who you persecute. better watch out what traps you lay for others because look what happens. At this point in the story, Darius wheels around and casts his eyes on the men who have manipulated him into signing this ominous decree. And there it is. I think they are thinking, uh-oh, uh-oh. Look at verse 24. It's really grim. And the king gave the command. And they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. Uh-oh, and their children and their wives. And the, look how bad it was. The lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they hit the bottom. Those lions were hungry. They'd been staring at a man all night and couldn't do anything about it. Right? So it was like, we're hungry. And all of a sudden, here comes all these people. And, and, and look how hungry these lions were. This tells us the miracle of the angels shutting their mouths really was because that's how hungry they were. They, they fell upon these people and devoured them before their bodies hit the bottom. All I can say to this is, if not for the Lord, the devil, the roaring lion would make quick meals of all of us. But each and every day, the Lord shuts the lion's mouth that he cannot devour us. Each and every day. I thought of Paul when he said, and the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion. Paul the apostle said that. So we are delivered daily. The story ends with Darius experiencing a moment of conversion. Let's all stand together, can we? We're going to read it together. Because what he says right here, is such an incredible, it'll preach. I could preach it. It's, it. I mean, he is preaching. He's telling us some things about God that are powerful. So let's read out loud these last verses. Are you ready? To all peoples, nations, and languages dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now look what he says about God. Ready? For he is the living God and steadfast forever. 
His kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. Now, let's don't quit here. Let's don't quit here. It gets better. Verse 27, come on. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Give God praise tonight. Man. Wow. Verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign. Now mark this next name, Cyrus the Persian. Because it's Cyrus, and we're going to see it in the next week or two, who releases the Jewish people out of captivity to go back home and rebuild their city. It's that Cyrus. Cyrus. 